Hello, everybody, and welcome to the classroom. Hello. Hi. Wow, Rachel speaks. Hey. Uh, so today, as you probably would have guessed, we are talking about the first section in Mockingjay of the ha- uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Katniss Ooh. and the Sorcerer's uh. Stone. <laughs> this would be Katniss and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay. So today... Uh, the goal is to focus more on, like, characters, because there's a lot of, kind of like what I handed out in the review, there's not a lot of, like, plot that directly causes itself. Like, no. Like, you know, in the first two books, it was very much, like, cause and effect, and then effect becomes, a, you know, adds another effect, and so on and so forth. But not so much in this book. There's a lot of very individualized scenes. And so in that case, I do want to talk more on characters, because these scenes show a lot about characterization. But the big thing I think, uh, you know, we talked about talking um, about wanting to talk about today is this notion of capital versus District 13, not in the sense of the war, but in the sense of morale, like morals. Um, And we just kind of threw the notion of of the lesser of two evils onto this. Um, So they are both very controlling, although albeit in very different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, They both require all of their citizens to be doing very specific things in order for their society to keep going. Uh, However, in the capital, it is, we need all the other districts to do what they are doing to appease them. I think they use the the Roman expression, uh, when there's bread in a circus, the people are happy. Uh, Something something along those lines. Whereas District 13 needs everyone to be doing their full job and tasks in order to keep up the like bare minimum survival rate for the uh, in, like entire colony they've got going also all of them are soldiers yeah all of district 13 and that's one difference is that the capital relies on other things while district 13 relies wholly on itself and its citizens um and you see that in the police force district 13's air quote police force their military comes from within whereas the capitals is you know Yet again, like everything else, kind of drawn in from the districts, from District 2. The one similarity that I keep kind of getting stuck on is that how both the Capitol and District 13 are using Katniss and Peeta. Because they're kind of using them in this, they're using them in the same way. Um, You know, we're seeing the Capitol use Peeta as their mouthpiece. Is like, oh, you know, look, he's winning favor. Like, look, this was your victor. This is who you loved. And he's telling you to put your guns down to stop fighting, which would be a victory for the Capitol. Mm And at the same time, District 13 is using Katniss as their mouthpiece. And Katniss recognizes that, especially earlier on. She's like, we're still in the game. We're still in the games, in the Hunger Games. We are still in their game. That one always sits with me. So, Going, going off of that, um, I think that the Capitol and District 13 both realize that they need a symbol, but they also need someone who can carry themselves well. Both of them, both Coin and Snow, we're both vying to get PETA, it seems. Because Coin was, her whole thing was, we should get PETA, and was, like, outvoted by everyone. It was like, Katniss has more of a, like, a likability and, like, more of a symbol for the revolution, despite mm-hmm. her not being very well-spoken. And I think they both recognize the sort of strategic value that PETA has, not only as a person and being very charismatic, but being able to speak and just be liked. Well, and I think that also speaks to the similarities of Coin and Snow. They think the mm-hmm. same way. It's better for for Peta, even though he has done none of none of the actions that have sparked the rebellion and sparked this fuel. 
in Coin's mind, and obviously in Snow's, uh, Peta is the strategic one because he can talk. You know, he doesn't have any action behind him, though. Whereas Katniss is able, you know, a little uncontrollable. But we see that that Katniss, even though she wasn't, you know, she doesn't, she's not super well-spoken, but her actions are what speak for her. And, you know, and we see that a little bit, and I'll talk about that scene later, um, in which Hamish is like, all right, so what, you know, what, when did Katniss make you feel things? Not when PETA said words about Katniss that made you feel things, but when Katniss made you feel something. And it were these scenes that Katniss didn't think twice about doing, she just did. And of course we see that work in District 8, and Coin hates that. Mm-hmm. And we also know that the, both Coin and Snow have the same ideology that, like, Katniss is dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, in the same way that, you know, Snow says that in the last book, that, that, that Katniss is dangerous because she ha- she brings hope to people. Mm-hmm. And I think Coin recognizes that, and I think we'll see it later, that, like, Coin's hoping that Katniss doesn't make it, like, make it out of the war alive. Because she thinks she's going to get too much power. The people back her, not Coin. And what's Coin's helper's name? Buckwheat? Something like that? <laughs> I have no clue. Um, Starts with a B. Um, oh, Boggs. Thank you, Boggs. Buckwheat? I B. I remember <laughs> like it. Like the pancake? Like the grain, but that also yeah. works. Um, I'm going to be honest. My mind went to Buckbeak from Prisoner <laughs> of Azkaban, but continue. <laughs> um. But uh, Boggs even says it, which is like, you have deserved to live this long. I think you've done a lot of good work. However, Coin does not care if you die. As l- her, her logic is, it'll just be more fuel to the fire that I can direct however I want. Well, and there was that line, too, when Katniss is pushing to go to District 8. You know, Hamish has suggested it. And Coin's like, oh, what happens if you die? And Katniss just turns to her and just goes, well, you'll get good footage of it, and that's all you want anyway. And Coin's like, okay, yep, you're right. Send her to eight. And that was that was the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. There's the scene in which Katniss notes that District 13 is just as controlling as the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the Capitol has superimposed themselves onto the districts and do not let any breathing room. And District 13 has done that to its own residents and to the other districts in their control. Um, and I think that's really seen in that in the scene with Paler um, in District 8, when Katniss, you know, touches down, she's like, oh, you know, hi, I'm Katniss Everdeen. And then Commander Paler was like, yeah, I know that. (laughs) Why are you here? And she's like, "Uh, okay, you know, I want to do, let's shoot some things. And she's like, okay, that's fine. You know, come on and meet our dying. She's like, man, it looks, Katniss is like, oh, it looks awful in here. And then Paler just goes, well, maybe after Coin sees the footage, she'll care. And it's just like, I think it says a lot. And it obviously fuels a lot of Katniss's decision in the end of the book. What I think one of the reasons that uh, Katniss is seen as so like dangerous uh, to them is she is quite literally the girl on fire. She is the spark that can either right. be turned into a like a fruitful flame or start a, a whole wildfire in this in like either side. Right. Um, and I think that the scene with Paylor kind of shows that a little bit, where it is that she d- she is aware of Katniss. And is letting them film and hoping that, like like you said, Coin will actually show some compassion here. Katniss is trying to use as like, much sway as she can to sort of help people, which is mm-hmm. one of the reasons why she was possibly not allowed on that mission to begin with and why Hamish was, like, literally screaming at her after she took out the airbase <laughs> to do what she can to save them. Yeah. Well, and another thing, too, the political commentary that she's trying to make is that neither side is good. Um 
there are good people on the side that you agree with, but that is not the person in charge almost always. Mm-hmm. Um, and it yet again, it's the lesser of two evils. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I think I don't know exactly. I don't know where she leans politically or like what the the hidden message is. But I think it's a commentary on like the people in power, mm-hmm. um, and absolute power in any system is always going to be corrupt because you know on the surface district 13 like they're fighting the good fight like they're the the rebellion but coin's just like mm-hmm. icky um and it's because you know she's in this position of power like she has pretty much all the power and you can see she has everybody in district 13 like under her thumb mm. and she's extremely controlling and it's out of necessity you know they have to ration off everything but i think you know if anything it's a statement about like power and how easily like power can become corrupt also so- something that i think that might be worth mentioning is that it is implied that coin has a schedule herself that she follows like everyone's got the weird like sticky like temporary <laughs> tattoos that go on their arm i was so curious by the way tangent of what that's made out of and like what why it's sticky like is it so supposed to be so it could be washed off if somebody finds them like i, I don't know what it was but a- anyway uh it was implied that she also has a schedule, but her actions really do not seem like she is adhering to it. She kind of just shows up places sometimes uh, when it's not scheduled to, like, have coin there. It's very strange. I'm not sure how much she is actually adhering to that. Maybe that is because, oh, she's, like, the, the boss person in charge right now. Who's going to tell her no? Yeah, who's going <laughs> to tell her no? But So I'm not sure if that is her abusing that or if it is just that she's trying to, like, micromanage everything. For um, a society so be- uh, like so based in this like rigorous like schedule, a Katniss, our protagonist, just breaks the schedule mm-hmm, all the time. Constantly, and she's like, "I'm gonna go sleep in this supply closet." But also, like, Coin interrupts the schedule frequently. She's like, "All right, I need these two in command right now," and that seems to be common practice. Like, mm-hmm. for Gale anyway, he doesn't think twice about it. He's like, "Yeah, it happens. It's whatever." So the only other theme-ish I had is love, and we see it come up not necessarily. There's love in the sense, you know, the traditional sense of love. There's love in the sense of longing. And then there's love in the sense of, like, like for, not forced, really, but this, like, painting of a lover. If that makes sense? Yeah, I think that's I, what I don't <laughs> I'm trying to find the right word here. Um, but specifically, there is the scene at the beginning. Um, when Kat, it, One of Katniss's things that she says, you know, I'll be your Mockingjay if, if Gail can go with her everywhere. Um, she wants them to have similar enough schedules. She, If she's out above ground, she wants Gail with her kind of thing. And Coin just immediately goes, oh, do you want hi- do you want us to paint him as your new lover? And Katniss is just like, whoa, what? No. No, 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 no. I just need emotional support. Mm-hmm. This is my emotional support toxic man. Let me have him. Um, but, yeah. And, and even then, right after that is, oh, uh, is it cousin again? Are we going with that? It was not. It was. I think it was implied that she was trying to be helpful and trying to set up whatever Katniss either needed or wanted to be portrayed in that moment. But I think there was also some biting, like, like snideness in there. Oh yeah, for sure. It's like, oh, which one are we going for this time, huh? Yeah. No, it was definitely like a snide, like underhand comment to Katniss too. Mm-hmm. The the loving love in the form of longing we see a lot in the dialogue Katniss uses around Peta. Um, after that first time she sees Peta on the TV from the Capitol, she's just heartbroken. 
and you know he's like they're just using you cat you know he's he's going through his, his spill of the ceasefire and everybody is like around her calling him a traitor and a liar and she's just like no he's in the same predicament i am he can't he's not saying that on his own accord and the only person who gets that is Hamish. um and we'll talk a little bit about the kind of codependency that Hamish and katniss develop but a lot of this longing um katniss talks about it really comes to a peak at the end of the bombing or like right in the middle of the bombing there and she's curled up with prim and you know prim just asks her like you know what's where's your head at like how are you doing and don't say just fine and katniss just lets it all out of just like watching Peta deteriorate on the TV, watching him just, you know, um, like, kind of degrade. And she's like, I'm afraid they're just going to kill him. And Prim's like, they won't kill him because that wouldn't hurt you as much as you watching him die on screen. Mm-hmm. And that's when it kind of hits Katniss of this, like, oh, my love, when I convinced Snow that I was in love, in love with Peta, I signed his like continued torturing and it's true and Finnick pulls it up too like that was that was a really good scene i like that scene a lot that it was sort of connecting that dot of oh there was a reason that like i was being forced to like him so much outside of just making the public happy so that way he would truly have a pawn to use against her which is mm-hmm. ironic and i want to talk about a little bit when we talk about Peter mm-hmm. as a character but like i said that that line uh, like the interaction between her and Finnick sets that up fully because Finnick just says he's like you know I didn't even think I thought it was just a facade until he died in the in the arena and I brought him back I didn't know that you loved him until then and Katniss and that's when it really hits like Katniss had already had the the conversation with Prem that Peter was just being used to break her and then in that conversation with Finnick and Finnick kind of says it she realized that her having any sort of romantic feeling, genuine feelings to Peta, is what is just absolutely solidified that Snow is just mm-hmm. going to torture this poor boy. So before we move to characters, I want to kind of give a kudos to the author and also like a like, what did you do? Um, because um, Suzanne Collins is a brilliant writer. Like obviously the last two books have been amazing. In this book, I think unanimously, it's not as strong, but it also deals with darker themes. Mm-hmm. But like I said earlier, it's like the plot is not connected in the same way that the other books are. I, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. Um, I think that there is something you said earlier that a lot of them were cause, effect, cause, effect, cause, effect, or sometimes cause, effect, 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 effect. Right, right, right. Um, However, this book is, the causes for everything that happens here are the past two books. E- everything else in this is kind of just ridden on all these past little things there's very little that because katniss or somebody did this then this happened it was this is all because of everything that has happened none of this would have happened if, if it were not for the culmination of all of these smaller little things it is truly like a butterfly effect in novel form for a lot of <laughs> and it's it's kind of choppy like some of the scenes are yeah. very choppy and i think it only and part of that, she does, like, anytime Katniss goes into the hospital, it's, like, an indiscriminate time between, yeah, she gives us the time and sets it up. But that's, like, how Susan Collins, like, resets the scene. She's, yeah. like, okay, Katniss is unconscious, and she wakes up, and, oops, she sleeps in a closet for a little bit, gets yelled at. Okay, now she's back in the hospital for no reason. It's, like, okay. And that's kind of, like, her refresh button. 
Um, but the one scene that I just really want to praise, or uh, honestly, it's just a paragraph I want to praise Susan Collins for. So at the end of chapter 12, there's this really beautiful, like, section here. It's when they're waiting for the rescue team to get back from the capital with the other victors. It's Katniss and Fennec just sitting there. But uh, the cadence of it is really good. And this is the only time we really see her break the, like, regular structure she has of, like, Katniss is walking you through what is happening in, like, a relatively interesting way, obviously. But it's this scene right here reminds me a lot how of I'm get a little lit nerd on y'all here of like how modernists play with dialogue like that like the early um, early 20th century literature which is considered the modernism in between the wars basically just really grows on this playing of on language like this and I think Susan Collins really brings that here it's just like messing with the usual structure of her style of writing. And it draw, that's to draw your attention. And it's also to show that time is moving fast in Katniss's, like, mind, but it is also taking way too long. Like, I don't know. It Anytime I see, like, a paragraph like that or, like, sentences like that or, like, two or three words that are just, like, repetitive in nature, it, it makes me anxious. Yeah, I Which is that. on purpose. That's mm-hmm. the, the absolute point of that. And it's, it's just, it's amazing. I really love that. There, There's also, like you said, the form is very nice in this, and we saw a lot of that before in like the the language inside and outside of the games so was mm-hmm. very different. And I like that she's trying that more in not just like those two contexts, and also like that this one is a lot more subtle. I didn't really pick up on it, but I picked up on the mood that I got from that section, but I did not pick up on the <laughs> the way she was carrying it right. out. Well, and she. And now that you say that, she does use a in in this. She uses a lot of the same language that she mm-hmm. uses in the games. It totally reflects the fact that Katniss, in her mind, is still in the games. This is just a more aggressive version of the games. And so yeah. Um. So we'll go ahead and hop to characters now. And I want to start off talking about the relationship that Katniss and Hamish have a built up in the last couple books, but how it kind of comes about here. Because we get some really beautiful scenes um, from Katniss and Hamish. And the first one is right after she realizes that Hamish is alive and fine and he's sobered up. And it's the first time they are talking. It's right after the scene of Hamish being like, okay, what things made you feel things when Katniss did them? Um, And he's just like, okay, come on, say it. And Katniss just goes, why didn't you save PETA? And then Hamish is like, okay, that's justified. I didn't have a choice. And then then Katniss is like, okay, you have something to say, don't you? He's like, why'd you let him leave you? Why did you leave PETA in the arena? And it's like the, obviously in like a lot of the language, Katniss has just been like, Hamish betrayed me. He broke my trust. He didn't save PETA. Why is it me? And we learn that, that Hamish has had very similar feelings towards Katniss. Why did you leave him? My one thing was do not abandon PETA in the arena. And that's what you did. Why did you do it? It's like they both broke their promise to each other. Right. Like, okay, all we got to do is save PETA. Like, that's it. Right. They did not, in fact, save PETA. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, that TikTok audience. Both of them are very, like, spiteful people. And they both hold grudges very badly. But this is them both acknowledging the, like, thing they did wrong the thing they broke for each other the grudge they were holding against each other and being like okay because it's like they're mad at each other but i think they're also like mad at themselves because they didn't save pita and that was the thing they promised to do right and one of my favorite not favorite it's super sad is the scene after the bombing 
and Katniss realizes that anything she does is going to just end up in end in PETA's abuse. And she just starts crying. And it's like, all oh, these people are coming around me and they keep touching me. I don't want any of them. I don't I need Hamish. Hamish is the one person who understands what I'm saying. And he is the one that just you know, he hugs Katniss and he's like, It's okay, it'll be okay. It'll all be okay. And then they sedate her. <laughs> it was not in fact okay. Okay. No, it was not in fact okay. There's also the scene after they get back from District 8 where Hamish is like, you see this earpiece? You wear it, or otherwise you get this helmet with a headpiece in it. <laughs> oh, you want to take that off somehow? Okay, I will put this microchip in your ear, and you will listen to me for 24 hours a day. And Katniss is like, all right, fine, I'll wear the air. I'll wear the earpiece. Leave me I'll alone. I'll wear the AirPods, okay. <laughs> um, is there something, is there any, like, merit in the fact that a lot of stuff happens to Katniss's ear, and like that's kind of like a recurring thing. Oh, because you mentioning that earpiece thing kind of triggered that for me. Mm. I'm not sure if it's anything, but it happens a lot more than you. No, now that you're saying it, no, it does happen a lot. There's a lot of it, even in this book. Um, the scene where her and Prim are talking about like the Capitol breaking PETA. Mm. It mentions that Prim is, you know, brushing the hair behind her ear, and then you know kisses her right next to her ear, and um. And yeah, no, there's a lot of mentioning about her ear now that you mentioned it. I'm not sure if that's like, I mean, it seems fairly. I I think that if I had to take my like like snap judgment there on that, I think it would be that it is physical reminder of her time in the games and like the fact that she can't go back to normal. That even after they fixed her ear, it's still a little like hazy. And focusing on that is either trying to bring her back to reality or sort of ripping her away from the reality that she wishes was true. Well, there's a lot of attention to sound, too. Mm-hmm. Like, Katniss mentions multiple times, like, the bombing. She mentions the sound of, like, the bomb ricocheting or, or like, the sound the explosion makes. And, you know, the sound... Like, there's a lot of attention to the sound of the hovercraft and, like, the hum of the electricity in District 13. And I mean, back in the last book, there's a hum of electricity in the fence, and that's how she knew if it was active or not, mm-hmm. you know? I think also... Sound is used as both a catalyst for the rebellion because you have the people who do the little like whistle tones to sort of spark things, and then it's also used as a weapon in the arena with the jabberjays. You know, they aren't being like shot at; it's it's the tortured sounds of their loved ones that's like hurting them. Mm-hmm. So I think sound plays a really big part in this whole thing, and then music. You know, with the mm. the hanging tree song. Well, and I think another thing, too, and it adds to the and the next character I want to talk about is PETA a little bit, but, you know, Katniss realized that PETA wasn't just lying to her or, like, flattering her about the fact that Mockingjay stopped to listen to her sing as well. Like, because after she starts singing the the uh, Hanging Tree song, when they're doing the promo in District 12, she's like, the Mockingjays do stop for to listen to me sing. PETA was right. Um, oh, God, PETA was right. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Real quick before we go on to PETA. Yeah. Something I just thought about. Was him getting retaken part of the plan for the Capitol or something? Because she was just like, can you go get PETA? And they said, yeah. And there was not much fuss about that. No, they yeah, we learned just, that. Yeah. They totally, like, put him. They, like, put a little bow on his head, essentially, and okay. made it easy for them to get in. Well, because they're they're the capitals hope, and we uh, that's a little bit later past what we read, but the 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 capitals hope was that Peta would kill her. Right mm. by the time that uh, District Thirteen gets Peta back 
he has basically been turned into another one of their mutts. Yeah. Uh, for all intents and purposes, he is just a weapon now. And so, yeah, it was totally. It was planned. Okay. Yeah. Like you said, bow on head. Yeah. Well, even after they realized he didn't know anything about the rebellion, we're like, ooh, wait a second. We could reverse Uno this thing if here. If the Capitol wanted to, they could have just, like, blown all of the District 13 operatives just, like, to smithereens. But they didn't. They didn't, because they were like, it would be a lot easier if they just, like, had a man on the inside to just, like, kill Katniss. <laughs> Actually, before we go to Peter, I want to talk a little bit about Finnick. Kennedy, please. <laughs> Finnick is so sad in this one. He's so sad. So sad is such an understatement <laughs> for what that man <laughs> goes through. He's just got his little string that isn't big enough for him to make a noose with, and he's just tying his real fancy knots and then just untying them. And Katniss notes that his fingers are, like, raw mm-hmm. constantly. He's just... This is this is also the one where we figure out his actual backstory. It oh was not gosh, that he yeah. was sleeping around the capital uh, by choice. He was he had to. He was being pimped out. Yeah, he was basically being forced to sell his body uh, by the capital. I think by Snow. Explicitly. No, it's Snow's choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not great for the ment- for the mental health of a fourteen year old at the time. Right. Keep in mind. Well, and it's like, and even looping into that, we have, you know, Hamish tells Katniss, you know, she's like, how did they, you know, what happened to you? He's like, I was an example for kids like Finnick and and Joanna. You do what I did, your family dies. And and Finnick, and later in the book, you know, we learn that Finnick is like, yeah, I'm almost positive the reason Annie went into the games is because I tried to say no. And it's just like, you know, rehashes the statement Joanna had in the games where she was just like, They've already killed everybody I love. What are they going to do now? Kill me? Do it. But no, Fennec and his his just laying out of all the secrets is the only thing he can do. And and one of my favorite things, though, is that Katniss randomly has the mentionings of she's like, sometimes I see Fennec from you know, the Fennec I met before the quarter quill. Um, the scene of him just dropping his, like, hospital gown and being like, is this distracting enough? And mm-hmm. Katniss is just like, absolutely not. Go on your way. Go get a trident, I guess. Um, and just violently making Boggs uncomfortable behind them. And then the scene where they all get the coffee. Mm. He's like, you want the sugar cube? <laughs> you know. And it's, uh, just, it's funny, right? It's <laughs> funny. But it's just super sweet. It's like, and we can laugh now. Yeah, see? It's like, ha <laughs> We'll pause sad boy hour right. for a sugar cube joke. I had another thought about mm-hmm. sound. Mm-hmm. Can I, like, loop back to that? Or yeah, go for up? it. No, go for it. Um, the, like, servants... They cut their tongues out. Oh my so gosh! They yeah, talk. they literally take away their voice. Boom! That was all. I wish I had more time to like, like simmer. That was good. Yeah. So back to sugar cubes. <laughs> um, no, uh, Finnick is definitely the person that, like, if you met them, modern times, he would definitely be masking his terrible, terrible trauma with just random jokes all the time. Like that is his full thing of like haha look i'm fun and quirky and then he goes to his room and just stares listening to mitski for eight (laughs) hours his room is just black and he's sitting upright in his bed staring at the void Mm -hmm. and then mitski vaguely hosier vaguely playing in the background just on the floor nobody nobody (laughs) no nobody Finnick is your reminder to please check up on your funny friends. <laughs> Make sure they're doing okay. Um, Sad boy hour, but, like, for a whole book. Right. But for the occasional sprinkling in of, like, a haha joke. But really, 
another thing is too is just Finnick is heartbroken. So sad because his the love of his life is trapped in the capital, and they, they deserved so much better. I know. Not to sound like a 2012 Tumblr post, but like they deserved so much better than what they got. I know. Most book characters do, and that's I'm not sure why I keep reading. You know who doesn't? The fate. Gale. Yeah, that's fair. He deserves less. <laughs> actually, um, you know, actually, no, we're going to talk about Gale because I have a lot of things that I just want to rant about Gale. Um, cause like he does a lot of, first off, pick me boy things. He's just like, there's the scene when they're filling the propos in district 12 and Katniss, you know, they're in Katniss's house and he's like, that's where you kissed me. And Katniss is like, it was. And he was like, I guess you could kiss me again if you wanted. And then she's like, what? And then they kiss. And he's like, I knew you would do that because you only kiss me when I'm sad. And then leaves. Wouldn't it be crazy if we kissed in the rubble of our district? Have you seen the memes on Probably. TikTok that's like um, God complex uh, people when they like manipulate the lights by flicking the switch on? Because that, that is gay. And he's like, I manipulated her into doing what I wanted by acting like a sad, pathetic little boy and begging for a kiss. And she was just like, Gail, who doesn't cry, had a tear in his eye. And he's mm-hmm. like, you only kiss me when I'm sad. Get out of here, Gail. Nobody cares. No, War criminal. Nobody likes you. Well, and there's a lot of scenes that I want to talk about about Gail, specifically. The difference between him and Katniss. Mm-hmm. Okay, early in the chapter. It's right after Peta's first like appearance on screen where he's calling for the ceasefire. And you know, Katniss is like, you know, there can't be a ceasefire. But this isn't Peta's fault. And Gail's like, whatever. And he's like, and then he just goes, Katniss, I'm not arguing with you. If I could hit a button and kill every living soul working for the Capitol, I would do it without hesitation. The question is, what are you going to do? She's just, what? Weird thing to say. It's like, um, I was just asking what you wanted from Wendy's. <laughs> um, Sir, I sent you, I sent you a Grubhub group order link, and you have uh, sent back a manifesto. <laughs> Like we're really getting into the just war theory, aren't we? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there's the scene too. I'm, I've got all my little scenes picked up here, um, and they're talking about killing uh, a hummingbird mm. and how difficult it would be. And Katniss is like, "Oh, I never tried because there's no value in killing a in a in like killing a um, hummingbird." Yeah, and he just because BT asks just out of curiosity, and then Gail just goes, "You know, you could probably snare them, and here's exactly how you could kill these things." Mm-hmm. And then when they're trying the new weapons, Katniss is like, man, I can't imagine how this exploding arrow would be fair to a deer. And then Gail just goes, didn't say it was for a deer. What? <laughs> that is, I know we are not talking about this section that happens in the, in the next part we're going to read. But I would like to bring up a very prominent point of that, which is like all of that is boiling and leading to this of Gail's suggestion to, to take down the nut. Everyone was like, okay, we got to hold it and we're going to like get everybody out of there and we're going to take it by force his suggestion was bomb it yeah we don't need it uh if we just seal the if we seal the exits and entrances and then just bomb these sides of the mountain where they get their airflow they will suffocate to death and die and it was like oh yeah uh and then they'll that'll be okay that's a good suggestion because then they can escape by the tunnels and we've still gotten rid of the building and the functionality and he goes Oh, we could also blow up the tunnels and make an <laughs> escape and just truly trap them inside. And everyone went silent and they said, what? 
Gail is the kid that gets the magnifying glass and like sets <laughs> ants on fire on the side. Gail is mm-hmm. Sid from Toy Story, just like in his room, like forcing toys to die and become like monstrosities. Gail's a war criminal and also a brat. Right. And maybe we could chalk it up to like trauma. And no. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. A lot of it does come from his uh, like what's happened to him of course you're going to be angry and even katniss expresses that like when he first pitches that these are the people that blew up my district i don't care about a single person uh, civilian or not in that building some of that can be understand if you've been if everyone you've basically known for your entire upbringing was killed by this group of people you would not be having a great time you mm-hmm. would not be thinking positively of these people oh absolutely not but the the difference is that Gail doesn't go to therapy, whereas um, <laughs> Katniss has at least tried it a little bit. And Katniss realizes that's not a healthy thing to do almost as soon as the he- thing pops in her head. Right. She has dealt with an intrusive thought and gone, nope, that's not the good thing to do. Gail has heard that intrusive thought and, once again, written a manifesto based upon it. Gail's like, okay, I hear you intrusive thought and I raise you 10. Mm-hmm. And maybe it comes from, like, Katniss is a little higher up. So, like, at the end of the day when this is all over, like, Katniss still has, like, some kind of power. Um, but then, you know, if all of this goes poorly or whatever and District 13 goes back underground, Gail's just, like, very, like, low level other than being friends with Katniss. He doesn't have a lot to offer. So I guess he's, like, I'm going to come out strong. Guns a blazing. They're going to see me as this, like, uh, insanely smart and valuable like war strategist um, and I'm just gonna like keep throwing things whereas Katniss is like eh, we don't gotta blow them up and nobody's gonna tell Katniss no because she's like the Mockingjay I think the other thing is too Gail's never killed anybody like one on one and the things he is suggesting he doesn't have to right. he's not the one looking at them as they die Katniss has killed people and she has seen people die if you suffocate someone and you know that tunnel situation he's not gonna see all the people in there dying he's gonna mm-hmm. press a button well and there's also this conversation about mercy you know katniss the handful of pe- a lot of the times the handful of people katniss has had to kill has been out of mercy she shoots kato out of mercy she'll you know later in the book she'll drop the 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 um, bomb thing i can't remember what it's called now into the whole like into the like sewer where finnick is dying for mercy, all of these gruesome deaths that live with her have been either quick kills or, or out of mercy. Where Gail's just like, so hear me out, round one, bomb everything. Bomb, bomb, another bomb, suffocation. Boom. Or, I mean, and then of course we'll see that the bomb that kills Prim is, you know, he he's like, okay, bomb one, not everything goes off. They're a little disguised with some fun, like, treats. Half of them go off. Medics go in. You knock out all of them. Whoa, war, war criminal. Let's dial it back there a little bit. You did some aggressive motioning when I started that point. That that point is made, and Katniss like says it like distinctly, which is that uh, when he first gets a gun, when Gail first gets a gun, she's like, "Do you know how to use that?" You like, you know, that's not going to be used on on a deer and stuff like that. Like, that's not that's going to be used to kill a person. And he's like. I don't know, shouldn't be too much different from hunting. And Katniss is, like, very angry that he says that because she has had to kill people before. And she has knows the, like, the feelings of that and has heard the stories of these people that she has been forced to kill multiple times now. And Gail is just like, 
eh, same old, same old. And to Katniss, he is kind of invalidating all of the feelings that she feels by his just unfeeling nature of killing somebody. No, you're absolutely right. And we even see that in Catching Fire when she's talking about, like, oh, I think there's a rebellion starting in eight. Mm-hmm. And Gail's like, good. Katniss is like, no, not good. People are dying. He's like, you've got to die to make a change. And he, she's like, as somebody who has witnessed death, no. No. Not the case. Right. And it's just... I think it also, they're both angry, but in very different ways. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about even in the first episode, is that they're both um, very, not necessarily selfish, but very concerned with, like, self-preservation. But with Katniss, her self-preservation extends to her friends and family. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when she's trying to stay alive, it's literally just so she can keep other people alive. Whereas Gail is just very focused on his own self-preservation. And so, you know, with Katniss, it's like the people she's killed, a, a lot of times it's people she n- knew, at least to a certain extent, you know, um, with Cato in the games. They weren't friends, obviously, but they had this, like, shared connection, like they had been in the Hunger Games together. And then, obviously, you know, Finnick. I'm going to make myself sad. <laughs> um, you know, she knew Finnick, but with Gail, it's like he doesn't know these people, and he doesn't care. He is mad, and this is what's going to, like – sort of fuel that and like satisfy his need for revenge Katniss's killings are all out of necessity too and yet again that scene about talking about killing the hummingbird sums it up Katniss is like why would you ever kill one there's no point there's no meat on their bones she killed Marvel because Marvel killed Rue you know she kills um uh, miscellaneous district one tribute in Catching Fire because he's trying to kill Finnick you know, it's like all of her all of her killing is absolutely necessary. It's to feed her family. She doesn't kill in excess. But Gail doesn't care. He's like, drop bodies, it doesn't matter. So I think that's the key difference. It kind of reminds me, too, and this might be a little off track, but um, I watched an interview once with um, somebody, the Wonder Woman movie, and it was talking about how male superheroes and their movies, it's just like total destruction they're ripping up streets in New York and it's like mass casualties. But in Wonder Woman, there isn't that. It's like, you know, they she minimizes like the casualties. And so I don't know if it plays into this larger thing of like men being more destructive than women or like being more, I don't know, outrageous and things like that. Katniss kills for a very specific reason and she does it sparingly. Whereas Gail's like, whatever, blow her up. up. <laughs> Explode. It explode, explode it all. District the, 2, explode it. <laughs> so w- something else about Mercy. This is not like the first time we've seen cats doing this. I think the, the main spark of using this sort of merciful death thing where death is not necessarily like – death is bad in Katniss's mind. She does not want to kill people, but she realizes that if she has to kill someone to make sure that they suffer less, then that is a better thing Necessi- to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you see that first with Cato, obviously, and then it get, kind of gets applied not only to the random civilian she doesn't meet, give them, like, at least something that, like, if they have to die, make it quick. Don't make them suffocate themselves to death. Um, and also goes to later, not in the part that we've read, but for Finnick as well. And I think that's, I don't know. Well, and I think that's another reason Katniss gets, A, so angry with the capital in District 8. That's what fuels her propo from District 8 is the unnecessary killing of unarmed civilians. Mm -hmm. Here are these people who are, you know, men, women, and children, unarmed, 
in a building. They l- have no defense, and the Capitol just bombs them on purpose. They knew where that was. They knew what they were doing. And that puts more rage into Katniss than the fact they're just firebombing some buildings. When she realizes they've hit the hospital is when she snaps. And I think that's that's the thing, too. And I think that's also where Katniss draws a lot of her anger from Coin. Coin and Gale are very much on the same page of whatever it takes. Whatever it mm. takes. And for the greater good. The ends justifies the means. Yeah, exa- that's what I was looking for, yes. Which, that's what The Hunger Games is about. That was Suzanne Collins' like, yeah. whole shtick. It's like, the ends don't justify the means all the time. Right. Just war theory. Yeah. Anyway, PETA, unless you have any other Yeah, meat. well, and we can go ahead and flip that. The, the inverse of Gale's mass destruction, and Katniss notes that in the epilogue, or at the end of the book, you know, that she didn't need Gale's mass destruction. She needed, you know, PETA's calm. And PETA is the pacifist here. And, you know, he obviously, he's always tried to diffuse tensions as best as possible. He can talk his way out of things. Gale doesn't know how to talk his way out of things. He knows brute force and kill strategically. And Peter's just like, whoa, why are we killing? And even in the propos that the Capitol is, you know, putting him through, we can assume that some of it's forced, but he probably does believe in the fact that, like, just please stop fighting. Death is not necessary right now. This is not... This isn't doing anything productive. This is just... We're going to end up eradicating ourselves. Um, And he makes the comment about nuclear war, you know, of like, what kind of creature is just going to re-inhabit the Earth when we decide to eliminate ourselves? And so Peter really offers up this pacifistic nature, um, which is ironic because then he tries to kill Katniss. But that's not his own fault. And the one thing I do want to talk about when it comes to Peter is... And this is a constant in his character. I mean, in the first book, he mentions he doesn't want to be a pawn in their game. And then he just continually is a pawn in their games. I won't be a pawn in their games. He was. He, in fact, frequently. was. <laughs> for two books. Two more books. You know, and we see the Capitals using him. Coin just wanted to use him. That's who she wanted to save from the arena. And even after he's out of the Capitol, he's still being used by the Capitol as a means to their end, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not going to do well for the for the rebels that their martyr story comes from, you know, her lover killing her, you know. It doesn't have the same ring as dying in battle does. So I did, I had a couple pages marked for PETA, and the one, really the only one I wanted to talk about was his first interview with, with Caesar Flickerman because it's the one that we see, A, he has not been severely tortured for, um, and B, Katniss can't pick when it is. There is no time element to it. Like, there's no way that she can tell this ha- when this happened, how soon after their games it happened. And it's, you know, in, in the entire time, A, Peta is defending Katniss, you know, through and through. And he's also, like, he's just like, I didn't know what was happening. And, you know... And that's when PETA, unprompted, says, you know, I'm calling for a ceasefire. And the only time we see PETA yell is when Caesar Flickerman kind of comes at Katniss. And he just snaps on him. Like, he lunges out of his chair and is in Caesar Flickerman's face. And we talked about this a little bit off mic, that, like, the movies don't play into that at all. Mm, Not at all. The movies just, like, act as if PETA was already just, like, complacent and, like... Mm -hmm. Fully brainwashed. Right, right. From the get-go, but we see that... And like I said, that first one, PETA is 
very angry that they suggest Katniss did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because as soon as that scene ends, uh, we get Gail yelling at Katniss. <laughs> and it's like, mm, the timing of this is real nice. A fun little parallel. Like, oh. But but no, I um, that's all I really have on PETA, I think. Although Katniss does rely a lot on PETA. She may, there's a lot of notes of her being like, you know, oh, I'm never going to stop owing him. You know, mm-hmm. his warning to District 13 is what ultimately ends in Prim yes. and, Ga- and Gail being safe. And the cat. And the cat. Buttercup. That is one. That's also a really good scene. Her being like, "I should have drowned you so many years ago." And Prim's like, "Leave him alone. He's stressed." And she, he's just like, "I'm gonna imagine him as a pure uh, as a pair of mittens, and that's the only reason I haven't killed him yet." It's fun. It's like they go back for the cat. She's like, "You went back for the cat." <laughs> it's so good. So good. I want to do a mini character. Yeah, go session, for it. Uh, for Prim, because <gasps> yeah. she has gone through a lot of development. Yeah. She went from somebody who was kind of crying because her goat was sick. At the at, at like she was she was very weak and frail uh at the beginning of this whole arc. And then she went through a lot of indirect trauma for a little bit, and then her entire everything was bombed. So that's some pretty <laughs> direct trauma there. Um she, she did grew up it, really fast. She, she did in fact explode. She I don't think that's what he meant. <laughs> I know that now. After I said it, I was like, oh, he's talking about District 12 getting bombed. Not her. Anyhow, continue. No, she did. If you if you want to say it, she did. Uh, her maturity exploded because she <laughs> desperately needed to grow up to be able to cope with any of this. Her mother is very frail. While she is a great doctor uh, and just very good with medicine, Prim kind of is the only one other than Katniss that can really hold themselves together and be able to do things other than medicine. And honestly, Katniss isn't really pulling too much weight in that category either sometimes. I mean, obviously she's gone through a lot, but she's not always been the biggest help to, like, the family in general. Prim is how Katniss stays rooted in reality in District 13. You know, she relies so heavily on Prim. A, to keep her alive, and B, that's how Katniss kind of remembers herself. She's like, oh, I'm doing this for Prim. And All it of this is because of Prim. Literally. If Prim hadn't, like, gotten drawn in the first book, none Katniss of this would have wouldn't happened. have volunteered. And then, so on and so forth, three books later, she gets exploded. She was marked for death, like, from the beginning. Yeah, like, we've talked about the, this the before. Whole, the whole time, she's marked for death. Uh, but she has to grow up, like, super duper fast because the like head of the household which is you know it's katniss pretty right. much like leaves to the death games and prim probably feels guilty like while she could not control her name getting drawn oh yeah there's absolutely also, it's her fault well and katniss even notes that she's like i haven't been there for prim since my games because since the first one she's like i've not noticed how quick she's grown up and prim has the the scene where they're talking about just all of the things katniss has been keeping to herself about Peta, and you know prim spots off with you know they'll do anything to break you but katniss is like man you're really smart when did that happen mm-hmm. and Kat- and that's the thing prim has just grown up under katniss's nose well, and she never processed she, she represents did. you know this sort of like innocence but then i think she also represents like the horrors of war and mm-hmm. like the the things that are, are lo- the cost of war 
-hmm. it's like here you have this you know innocent child who um is like a victim of a mass bombing from like her side you know Mm -hmm. like her side of the war and then even she is just a casualty and uh you know just uh, a way to an end and i think if we want to take that a step further this she still is somewhat innocent i mean especially when uh, Buttercup comes back, there is still these sense of like childlike joy and just sort of like emotion in there. I don't think she's truly the death of innocence until she actually dies. I think that that is, she still represents maybe, how about this? Katniss represents hope for the, like the revolution. I think that uh, Prim represents hope, like, personally of being able to get through things and mm-hmm. like hope and innocence and just everything that like you sort of value and cherish before the war and once she dies that is quite literally what removes basically all sense of emotion and hope from Katniss therefore mm-hmm. afterwards you know frequently when people go through trauma and have to grow up quick they you know you still have you know you could be 20 and still have very like childlike coping mechanisms because that's when your trauma happened that's you know mm-hmm. and so that's kind of it like Katniss has those but Prim's coping mechanisms is still going back to that childish wonder that was a good that was a good point though I'm glad you brought up Prim so we'll go ahead to MVPs and LVPs well LVPs first Rochelle Buttercup LVP Buttercup yeah <laughs> Oh. Elaboration, because at one point I believe Buttercup was your MVP. Well, no, 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 no. Um, oh, the I, you are you are referring to cinematic universe Buttercup from movie mm-hmm. one, who then got recasted in movie <laughs> two. If anything, that was an MVP out of pity, because I do feel bad for first Hunger Games uh, movie cinematic mm-hmm. universe Buttercup. Although I mean, it is a little funny the that the black cat. and white cat was named Buttercup. It is funny. They shouldn't have recast uh, fired, him. Fired him. Yes, I agree. Um, no, LVP, because he was just chilling upstairs while bombs were going off and made Prim go back in a very stressful situation. That's fair. He did cause a lot of problems. Also, I don't like cats. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, my LVP is Gale. Um, <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. He does so little for this. that is not either met with everyone going, Okay, but maybe you need to slow down. Except for Coin, and even sometimes that's like, scary. Oh. Though that Coin's the one that's like okay. you're on the right track. Mm-hmm. I like you know, what you're the talking ruler about. The and precedent of this sort of thing. Uh, but Gale is just very, very far into the let's just kill as many people as possible. Literally admits if there was a button to kill every single person in the capital, not every ruler in the capital, capital not everyone working involved in the, for the capital. Yeah, just press that button. All dead. Um. You'd think that someone who, and I think Katniss brings this up as well, someone who was so sympathetic uh, and dealt with so many mind collapses would not want to kill more people in basically the same fashion that they died. Dudes, a complete crap bag. Uh, <laughs> just guys being dudes. Just dudes guys being dudes, committing war crimes. What's better <laughs> than this? Uh, but yeah, complete, complete jerk. That's completely reasonable. Actually, it's 100% justifiable. He's the say, worst. Maybe a bit of an understatement to call him a jerk for suggesting the deaths of many innocents. <laughs> and I guess, I'll, you know, Coin's the obvious choice. I think we can assign, like, the group LVP. And we'll t- I feel like Coin is Coin's the LVP of the next book or, yeah. like, the next half of the book. 
um like Plutarch's her and gail or ran in that race um so i'll go ahead and do plutarch and it's just because plutarch has a grave misunderstanding of katniss's abilities and it's not his own fault it, it's not his fault but he does a lot of things that he thinks he is help like he's helping and he's not mm-hmm. it's actually just making katniss violently uncomfortable or doing the exact opposite um there's a scene when when they're first talking about the first promo i believe and he was like, oh, we should paint her up and do this and this. And Amber's just like, you want them to recognize her, though, right? And so, yeah, I, I think Plutarch, because he still he still has a capital mindset. Mm-hmm. And it does not work in the f- – it's not doing what he thinks it's doing. So he also just does not care about a lot of things that he should have. For instance, the three stylists are locked in the basement after stealing yeah. some bread. And he goes – Oh no! I didn't know these people were here. But I well, guess I'll take Katniss to ideal. the dungeons to find them. Yeah, like he knew that they were there. He didn't know that they were being tortured. Um, so like I guess somewhat of a, but like just a very weird thing to do. And like he shows a that he's silly. Well, yeah, Katniss, a little a little silly to let three silly. stylists be tortured. But that's tortured. the thing too is like Katniss does mention that Plutarch does like he does a lot of things with like the like energy. It's like you know if. This war goes south. I mean, he had no horse in the race in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why he was against the capital. He was making a good living. He was, you know, minding his own business. Why is he here? And we're really just led to believe it's for personal gain. Yeah. So. he. I think there's something about he is not putting his name on certain projects uh, so that in the end, if things go. all the recognition. Mm-hmm. Or can dis- disassociate from Or completely from disappear, yes. He mm-hmm. he will wait to take his bow until the show is finished. Mm-hmm. And that's a line in there. Mm-hmm. When they're when the first round of propos go out, Katniss is like, man, we didn't clap for Plutarch. And it's like, oh, he's waiting to the end of this. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so MVPs. I'm going to say District 13 Tattoo Schedule Maker. Mm, yeah, you know, I was thinking about that. That poor guy, when does he do it? Like, when do you have to, like, submit your final draft for what you need everybody's schedule to look like? I'm thinking it's probably, like, a week in advance. Like, the way, like, they oh. do schedules that, like, like work, you know, yeah. like, oh, okay, next week we got X, Y, and Z. Like, I think that person probably, um, you know. Oh, Katniss gave him a headache, though. The unsung Ooh. heroes. Ooh, but Tammy's birthday is right, it is on the 17th. I should probably try to work around that. I know that they're really close with uh, Elijah, so maybe I'll try to schedule some stuff in. Ah, dang, I spilled the purple goo again. I'm going to have to clean this up before I start I printing. I imagine just, like, Google Calendar, but, <laughs> but the from most hell. chaotic Google Calendar. <laughs> Sounds about right. Or maybe one of those. So like, just like, a normal the, Google like Calendar. The, the, the yep. big desk calendars, yes, except the desk. it's the size of our recording studio. Yeah. And it's just got, everybody's got, like, a highlighter color, except they're all just various shades of the same color. Yeah, so that is my... Um, and be reasonable. Put, put some respect on District 13 Tattoo Schedule Maker's name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I agree. I didn't think I was going to agree with that as much, but you know what? That is a lot yeah. of effort that goes in. I think my MVP, and boy howdy, it's hard to follow up yours because <laughs> yours is really fun. Um, I think that my MVP is probably going to have to be the uh the capital in general. I think, and this is MVP? a weird thing to go. Let me let, let, stay with me here, okay? Okay. Do I want to? No. Uh, <laughs> okay, continue. Okay. Not because I, I truly despise them, but we had a little bit of a conversation about this uh, an episode or two ago. Of Snow is incredibly smart and tactful with a lot of the things that he does. 
and it feels like most of the victories that the rebellion sort of has have been set up have been purposeful other than maybe the nut it feels like a lot of it has either been planned or so quickly either covered up or salvaged that not much ground is actually gained from it and i think that it's interesting to see them from that light of that they are causing a lot of these sort of back and forth pull without having to do too much in general like a lot of what they do is just we're going to send a bombing here and here and then just use pure like fear tactics and like uh word mincing to get what we want and it works and it, and it works and while i do not support what they do i want to make that incredibly clear um Killing children, it's capital fine. Yeah. sympathizer. With cool. The <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, better than a kill sympathizer. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but no, they they are incredibly important to not only the plot but to keeping things interesting. Instead of it just being, oh, both sides are like equally matched here. I think that capital is truly at the very least at this point seems like they have the upper hand in almost every situation except for it's, like i said the yeah not it's not until the rebels take all the districts that the capital loses the upper hand mm-hmm. and i mean all the districts mvp to finnick because he can make jokes just enough that katniss is like he's still there he's okay and him and katniss develop an amazing like not reliance on each other but like this mutual just like, agreement that they are there to support each other because they're going through a similar thing. Um, and then um, to Hamish, because he, even though Katniss is mad at him, he very realistically lays out, like he, th- like I said, that scene of him and Katniss being like, okay, him being like, all right, say what you're going to say. And then Katniss doing the same thing back to him. Be like, all right, tell me what, say, say your grudge. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hamish is there for Katniss. And, it, you know, she know, she makes the motion of like, I'm glad that I have somebody on my side and I know that I have them on my side. Um, and it's very nice. Um, also, I'm thinking of the scene too, like I said earlier, of him being the one that Katniss is like, I need him to comfort me. He understands this and it's just very sweet. Um, that's all for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Of course, you can always go listen to us at u 92 the Moose. Dot com. If you are listening to us at U92, either our local, like locally at 91.7 FM, or of course, U92themoose.com, uh, hop on over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor itself, um, drop us a like, drop us a comment, um, listen to like our fun extended contents, yada, yada, yada. I think that's everything. Yeah, thanks. Did so. I get through that that quick? You got, you got through that real quick. Wow, that um. never happens. Uh, of course, next episode we will be covering the second and final part of Mockingjay. Mm-hmm. Um, and until then, I think that's all we got for you today. Yeah. Bye. Bye. In post, she will add more time. Absolutely on that. will not. She will yes. add some like nice spacing, some like uh-huh. jazz snaps uh-huh. in the background, <laughs> some slam poetry music. <laughs>